God to the book of Matthew, which uh, Pastor Haman has already read in your hearing. I'm going to read it again. Uh, beginning in verse 35 in the book of Matthew, that's the New Testament for some of you who uh, may be a little uh, kind of slow at the trigger here. Uh, we've been away for a minute. We've been away. Now dust off your Bibles, invite somebody to join us. You're going to be very blessed today, and God has a special word for you. Then Jesus went about all of the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary, scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray again. Thank you, Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. We are so grateful to continue the series of messages I've entitled uh, for our year's theme, Reconnecting to Return, Return to the work, the work. We are reconnecting through life groups, through digital uh, platforms. And, and as we move forward, we'll have a biblical academy and transferring our current work to Middletown to further reconnect as we enter into the, the property that God gave us in a pandemic, a pandemic. God has blessed us to have a 9.9-acre property in a pandemic. And so we celebrate God's faithfulness. God is faithful. Now, during these past two years, this is some very unusual occurrences have transpired. And one of the strange things that the economists have noticed, they're calling the Great Resignation. They have determined that since November, up to November 2021, some 4.5 million Americans have resigned, have quit their jobs. And many of them have entered into retirement with no intention of ever returning to work again. They have chosen to live off of less to minimize personal stress. This has caused employers to be in a very difficult predicament. They are scrambling to fill 10.6 million job openings. There are signs all over, now hiring, now hiring. Uh, these employers recognize that even though they have the product and the consumer demand, without workers, they will have to eventually close their businesses. 
their business establishments. And so we are in a very, very unusual time because of COVID. Now, what caused this to really resonate with me is something that happened during the last two weeks. There were two things that happened. Last, the, the last thing that happened occurred on Friday. I walked into Wilmington Hospital, and I was greeted by the military. <laughs> the International Air Guard has been deployed at the hospital to supplement the staff because of worker shortage. That was astounding to me. A second thing that happened, that was, this happened uh, uh, a week and a half ago. A week and a half ago, uh, I was called to the hospital. A patient was imminent, and they were in excruciating pain, crying and just, just uncontrolled pain. And so I immediately went to find the patient's nurse. It took me about 15 minutes to find the nurse. And when I finally found him, he said, I'm sorry, we are short-staffed, and I will not be able to come and help this patient until I've seen at least five patients before her. He was working in a critical care unit that was understaffed. Can you imagine a loved one imminent, actively dying, in excruciating pain, but no staff to medicate to reduce the pain? What's even more disturbing is that there are people who actually make it to the emergency room but they die in the waiting room before they even see a doctor because of the shortage of workers in the medical field. Now, as horrible and disconcerting as those examples may feel and sound, I want you to know that there's something even more pressing and more urgent than physical pain and physical death that is occurring all around us as a result of COVID. What I'm making reference to is what Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 18, uh, because this particular alarm that is sounding from heaven has eternal consequences. Jesus actually put it in this way. He said, what shall it profit a man? if you gain the entire world, but you lose your soul, and what will you give, what would a man give in exchange for a soul? The, the, a soul, unlike our bodies, is eternal. And so Jesus sounds the alarm that there's a great need for people to reassess what is the most valuable possession that God has given them. There is nothing more precious to the Lord and more valuable than our souls that live forever. I wonder if you believe that. 
Now, as we seek to reconnect and return to the work, the work, Paul says he has given us this ministry, this ministry. He has given us the mystery called the gospel, the good news, the euangelion concerning Jesus. That is the work that we want to reconnect to return to is the euangelion, the good news, the gospel concerning Jesus Christ. I've come to tell you as we return for reconnection that there is a staff problem in the church. And if you look more closely with the eyes of the Spirit of God, you might see flashing in neon lights a sign extending down from heaven to earth, God saying, now hiring, now hiring. I believe this is captured in the words of Jesus when he said to his disciples, he said that the harvest is plentiful, but there's a staffing problem. The laborers are few. He said, therefore, pray to the God of the harvest that he would raise up laborers. Now hiring, now hiring, now. What you need to understand about God's seeking workers for the, the ministry is he's not looking for part-timers, not interested in, in, in part-timers who, who, can, who think that uh, uh, taking on the mantle of serving the Lord is something that is, is casual. No, he's looking for full-time, sold-out, born-again, blood-washed believers. The harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Now, we get upset if we were at the hospital and, and our mother or our child was being neglected, but, but, but when you consider that God is saying there's this great harvest of souls that are, are not being reached for eternity, I wonder if you understand that it literally breaks the heart of God. The Holy Spirit is grieved when the Lord has to announce that the laborers, the laborers are few. Now, he didn't say the blessings that I'm giving to the laborers are, are scarce or are, are being withheld. No, no, no. Every single day we wake up to a new blessing. Every single day you wake up breathing and, and, and your, the activities of your limbs. I want you to know that the blesser is still blessing, but he's looking for workers. Now, there are four things that all potential workers for the Lord need to understand and possess. The first thing that we need to understand is we need to have a proper understanding of what the harvest the Lord is talking about is. What kind of harvest is Jesus talking about? We need to have a proper understanding of that. The second thing that we need to get clear is we need to understand the, the process of harvesting what Jesus is talking about. There's a process that the Lord has established for harvesting that which has been sown. We need to understand the process. We need to understand, have a proper understanding of what the harvest is. We also need to understand that there's a problem with the, with the workforce that should be harvesting. And then finally, we're going to consider the plan. We need a plan. We're going to discover that the Lord has already established a plan for us to harvest what he has made 
available to the church to reap. Proper understanding of what the Lord means when he says, the harvest, the harvest is plentiful. Now, in order to appreciate that, we need to look at another passage. There's a parallel passage in John chapter 4, and many of us are familiar with that passage in John chapter 4. It's almost the entire chapter where Jesus goes to Samaria, and he meets the woman at the well. And by the time Jesus gets finished talking to a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman that Jews and uh, Samaritans had no dealing, this woman came to the realization that Jesus was Messiah, and she concluded that he was the promised one who would save her, and she trusted him as her Savior. And the first thing that she did was she went back to the city to tell the men that Jesus, she said, come and see a man. They were cool with the idea of her seeing a man because she was a woman of ill repute, ill repute. And, and, and so when she went and said, come see a man, they, they, they did, that didn't get them excited, but she said something else. She said, who told me everything that I did do. Now, everything that she did do included some of them. So they wanted to meet Jesus. And so what we discover is in John chapter 4, we read, Jesus said to them, speaking to his disciples that have now returned. He had to send them away in order to reach this Samaritan because they would have been an obstacle. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, the work, his work for me. Do you not say that there's still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say, do you lift up your eyes and look at the field? for they are already white for harvest. So Christ, when he talks about the harvest here in John chapter 4 and in Matthew 9, he's not talking about a physical harvest of grain that needed to be reaped. He, he wasn't talking about a physical harvest. And the reason I know he wasn't talking about a physical harvest is because he said to his disciples, you say there's four months before the physical harvest can be reaped. So he's not talking about the physical harvest because he tells them, he says, no, this is a spiritual harvest. He says the, he said the crops that needed to be harvested, when we're talking about a spiritual harvest, these are unsaved, lost people that the Bible calls sinners who are separated from Christ. The reason I know that the harvest is spiritual because when Jesus, after he said, asked the disciples the question, Didn't you just, don't you guys say that the harvest is four months from now? Then he says, look up. And as they're looking up, the men from Samaria are coming, and he says, the harvest is right, right now. It's right in front of you. And so Jesus is not talking about a physical harvest, a tangible, a visible harvest. He's talking about the souls, as the scripture says, and many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the words of the woman who testified. He told me everything I did do. Then in verse 44, and many, many, many more believed because of Jesus' word. The harvest is spiritual. It's a spiritual harvest. It is the it is, the, it is the souls 
of people who have never made a decision to personally receive Jesus. And so when he says the harvest is plentiful, he's saying broad is the way that leads to destruction. There's a bunch of folk on that road. It's a plentiful harvest. There's no lack of sinners. We can all testify that. But here's the third thing about this harvest that is spiritual that Jesus speaks of. He said, my food is to do the work of him who sent me to finish that work. The, the, the harvest for Jesus was his priority. The harvest, the souls of people who had never come to know him, that was his major ministry in the world. That's why Jesus says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he said, I did not come to be served, but I have come to seek and to serve the harvest, the lost people who don't know me in the pardon of their sins. So the first thing that we need to understand, if we're going to get off the pews, if we're going to get off the benches, if we're going to get in the game, if we're going to stop just cheering, we love Jesus, give me a chair, give me a chair. hallelujah, praise the Lord. Yeah, we're great fans. We want to be followers of Jesus. How are you going to be followers of Jesus? Proper understanding of the harvest. The harvest is a spiritual one that has to do with people who are lost and on their way to a Christless eternity called hell. A great illustration of this is in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 20. When you get a chance, I want you to look at it. It's about a rich man who had a very successful farming business. In fact, in fact he had a buffer crop. His, his prosperity just shot off the charts. And so he had so much produce that he didn't have enough barn, enough space in his current uh, 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 facilities to house all of, the, all of the produce that had been reaped from his harvest. And this is a contrast between spiritual harvest and a physical harvest. So he said, let me, let, let me, let me, let me conference with myself. Let me think about my, all my accomplishments, me and my bad self. I'm a bad businessman. I'm, I'm balling. I got it going on. Here's what, oh, here's what I'm going to do. Here's my business plan. I'm going to build me larger barns so that my, my, my grain can be housed in my, large, my industry. My, 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 my brand can keep on growing. That was cool. The Lord don't have no problem with your brand growing. He has no problem with you coming up with a business plan. Here's where the issue came in. So then I will say to myself, eat, drink, and be merry. I will say to my soul, my soul, not my soul and yourself, who you really are is your soul. The, that, that which was created in the image of God. He said, I will say to my soul, eat, drink, and be merry. Just, just party time. You don't have to work no more. You can chill. You earned it. And then the Bible said, but the Lord said, you fool. All right, you, you, you talking about the physical harvest. You can, you can make a business plan for that. But when it comes to the soul, the harvest of where your soul will be reaped, where you will end up for eternity, that's my business. He said, tonight, I am requiring what you have no control over. You dying tonight. And on that night, he died. And then the Lord said, who's going to have your physical harvest? 
We, we, we got our priorities mixed up, church. We spend all of our time sending our kids to the best schools and, and, and buying them the best clothes and making sure they have all of the latest gadgets and, and live in the nicest houses. But we fail to recognize that the most important thing that our children need from us is to be trained up in the Lord in the way that they should go. So when they're old, and raise a bunch of intelligent, carnal, unsaved folks who are able to make a business plan but don't know how to come under the authority of God. We'll go and stand in the rain, the wind, the hell to take our sons and daughters to a football game, to a soccer game, but we can't come to the church. It's my day off. Why isn't it your day off when you're taking them to the soccer game? I want you to understand there's going to come a day when you're going to be in a position of this rich man where you made decisions that you ultimately going to recognize you don't have the final say. God will say to you as your child is not turning to him, you fool. You prioritize the wrong thing. How do you think, those of us who know Jesus, how did you get to know Jesus? Somebody made a priority that you got exposed to the things of God. I don't care where you are, how comfortable you are. You need to be getting yourself ready to come back into the house of God. Your children, your very, your very legacy may depend on this. Your children need to see the people of God coming into the house of God, worshiping. We don't need to teach children that being a Christian is convenient. Fit God into your schedule. The last person on your schedule is God. Proper understanding of the harvest is that it's spiritual. Everything that we do for Christ will last, but every, everything else that we see is going to pass away. Every one of our works is going to be tried according to what sort it is, and if it's not, if it has no eternal value, the Lord said, we'll be burned. Up. Well, I'll figure it out when we get to heaven. No, no, no. You're going to rob yourself of God's promise of the abundant life. Let me run on. So the first thing, you need to have a proper understanding of the harvest. It's spiritual. It's about soul winning. It's about reaching people for Christ. I'm not going to ask you the last time you shared Christ with somebody. I ain't going to even ask you the last time you prayed for a lost person. I want you to understand we got a problem. We're more concerned about a scratch on our car than we're about people burning in a crisis eternity called hell. We'll fight somebody over our car, a parking space, but we won't cry for somebody who's dying without Jesus. Something's wrong with the labor force in the church. So the first thing is the proper, the, we need to have a proper understanding of the harvest that's a priority for Jesus are the, so I came to seek and to serve. And he told us to occupy, do my business until I come. Last I know, Jesus hasn't returned. Are you doing his business? Here's the second thing, the process for how the harvest is to be reaped. You got to understand that there are two key passages that help us to understand how to reap souls, how this thing comes about. Here's one of the passages in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Listen to this. Who then is Paul? There was division in the church, carnality. 
following male, men divided over leadership. I'm a Paul, I'm a Cephas, I'm a Apollos. Nah, I follow Jesus. I just float in the church. I'm that spiritual. They, they, so Paul says, who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers to whom you believe, believe what? The good news, the euangelion. As the Lord gave to each one of us, opportunities to each one of us, I, what, planted? The apostle, uh, Apollos watered, but look at this. But God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who giveth the increase. And then Jesus comes along right behind that in, in Matthew chapter 4, 19. He says, he says, follow me, and I will do what? I will make you fishers of men. And so here's the two things. The process of soul winning, of reaping the harvest, accepts the fact that it is that some of us are going to be planters. Others of us are going to come behind the planters and water. We can call the planting evangelism or sharing Christ. The watering can be what, what the Bible calls discipleship. So some will come behind those who are saved. And it's not black and white there, but some will plant a seed where people are open to the truth, and they, but they don't respond. Somebody will come behind them and water what was planted. But the Bible says that they're going to get saved. God will give the, God causes life to come out of death. That's why John chapter 6, verse 46 says, we know that no one can come unto the Father except the Spirit of God draws him. He giveth the increase. So my job is just to, to pour. If, if I'm planting, I'm going to plant. If I'm watering, I ain't taking the credit because it is God, the Holy Spirit, that's going to quicken a person's human spirit that is dead and give them life. But there's a second thing about this process. Jesus said, follow me. In order for the planting and the watering to occur, we have to obey the command. Follow Jesus and leave the results to him. Too often we won't share our faith because we're afraid we're going to be rejected. We're afraid it ain't going to work. We're afraid we don't know enough Bible verses. We're afraid they're going to ask us, where did you go to Bible school? Where did you go to seminary? And and, and I'm going to say, no, no, follow me. And I will make you effective in soul winning. I want you to know there's no greater blessing than to lead another person out of darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus, to lead someone to Jesus. But the Bible says, but, but if we, let me, let me not, this is not a scripture, but this is a quote. If you lead somebody to Jesus and leave them at, in the hospital like a baby who was born and the baby is birthed, but you never nurture that baby. You never take care of that baby. It says that, 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 that evangelism without discipleship is an abortion. You've actually stunted and made impossible for that person to grow properly into all that God wants them to be. And so the process involves being obedient. The process involves planting and watering whatever my part and giving God the glory because it is him who giveth the increase. You want to talk about Holy Spirit power? You want to talk about it? Give me the anointing. Give me a second step of your blessing, oh God. No, here's the second blessing and the greater works of these that the Lord wants to reduce, re- release to us is that we do the, do the work of planting and watering and trusting him for the result. 
Somebody say amen. amen. Now, I, I, I ain't trying to be embarrassed here, but a couple months ago, I had a long week. So I got up. Actually, I didn't turn the light on in the bedroom. I'm in the dark trying to get myself together because I got, got to get out of the house. So there's a process that is involved with using the iPhone in order to access your information. It is either through facial recognition or through your code. Isn't that what they call the code? <laughs> anyway, it must have been so dark in that room when I tried to show my handsome face. <laughs> mirror, mirror on the, no, no, no. I, the phone did not give me access. So I began to fumble through trying to put my code in, and, and it still didn't open. And then the more I tried, the more numbers I changed. And, and, then, and by the time I did that about 95, about, I don't know how many times I tried to access my information, my phone locked on me. Literally, you done. It didn't say you done, but it would not move. It first said 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. And it said, then I think it said, bling, 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 fool, get away, get away, whatever. So it was locked. So I called an expert, my young son, <laughs> Gen Z. And uh, so I'm, 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 I'm all, this is 911 for me. So the first move was to go back to I to Apple so they could reset my phone to the factory setting. That means I'm going to lose some stuff. I want to be losing some things, some good old things that I've saved and et cetera. And so as I'm talking with him and I, I go in and the guy said, this is not the place where we repair. You got to go to the mall. So I'm heading to the mall. But just before I go to the mall, I make this last call to the expert. I say, he asked the question. What were you, how did you decide on what category to choose your numbers from? There's some logic into how I do stuff. And then I thought, hmm, I know what I did. And they said, try that before you go. And I thought, boom, 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 phone opens. Right. Once it opened, because I followed the process, two ways facial recognition, or code. Now I have access to everything, all of my information, all of the resources that are available to me through Apple and Google and all of the other uh, uh, sites that I can visit. But until I followed the process, I had no access to what I needed. I want you to know if we're going to be impactful in reaching the harvest for Jesus, we need to follow the process that the Lord himself has set in motion. God said, I'll give the increase. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Let's use the access. And, and, and the reason why we have access to him is because we have been washed in his blood. We have now become sons and daughters of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the spirit of God abiding in us. And because of that special relationship, what the Lord says is possible to reach people for him is released to us, but you've got to follow the process. There's a proper way of understanding what the harvest is. There's also a process of, of reaping it, 
But there's also, thirdly, a problem. Somebody say a problem that causes shortages in labor, laborers in the church. Jesus says this. Then he says in verse 37, the harvest is truly plentiful. Say plentiful. But the laborers are few. Doesn't mean the church isn't packed. Doesn't mean that people aren't, aren't driving in the best of cars. Doesn't mean that people are, are lacking in financial resources. Doesn't mean that there aren't spiritual gifts in the church that the Lord has given to every believer. But he says there's still a workforce issue. The spiritual harvest is going neglected. I believe there are at least three reasons why there's a labor shortage in the church. And the first of the three is the word confusion. Say confusion. The church is confused about its mission. And I said, let me search and figure this out. And, and I searched, studied the scriptures and I looked at commentaries and I spoke to some theologians and, and I remembered my training at Dallas Seminary. And I said, I, 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 I'm making sure I, didn't, I haven't missed something. Let, let me find this, this, this deep, incomprehensible theological concept that, 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 that I can share with folks and try my best to explain it because there must be something really heavy about the mission of the church. Then the Holy Spirit said, no, it ain't. Here, here's, here's what the church is confused about. Here's our mission. Jesus, after the resurrection, teaching the disciples on, the, on Mount Olive for 40 days. Oh, I would have loved to be a part of that class. Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So let me, let, now, 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 let me give you your marching orders. Let, let me explain to you your mission. Let me, let me get it clear to you why I'm not taking you with me. The reason you are still in the world and for no other reason but this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. That's the mission of the church. <laughs> well, isn't it to have the largest congregation, the, the, the best-sounding choir, and the most beautiful building, and, 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 and the Lord just keep on showering you with blessings and, 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 and miraculous healings and, and wonders and signs. Isn't that what this is all about? No, it's about making disciples that make disciples. Well, what about healing? Well, what about healing? Let me, let me share about healing. Jesus performed many miracles and signs, but every miracle and sign that Jesus ever performed was, and let me just read this just in case you think I'm making it up. In John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, here's John's writing. He said, truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in him, you might have life in his name. The purpose for every miracle, the purpose for every sign was to point, the, point out the fact that Christ is Messiah. Jesus is Emmanuel with us, God with us. He is the promised one. And so the miracles were all about the gospel. The mission of the church 
Your divine assignment is not to get the nicest new outfit, the most expensive whatever, to be able to say you traveled here and there, and I know, and I know, I know him, and I know her. I earned this, and I earned that. Jesus said, your job as a church, and guess what the church is? Individuals. You are the church, and the spirit of God dwells in you. So wherever you go, guess where the church went? Wherever you went, your job is to share Jesus and to develop mature Christians who replicate what you taught them to teach others. Are you doing that? Is that your priority? Does that make your heart beat a skip a beat? Do you find it convicting to hear that maybe this hasn't been your priority? Maybe you've been confused about what church is about what you get, not what you give. No, it's about doing the Great Commission. Jesus does promise us something. Well, oh, about wealth and prosperity and naming it and claiming it. I don't hear about those guys now since the pandemic has occurred. I don't hear a lot from those dudes. That hocus pocus don't work. But Jesus, he, he didn't promise that everybody would be rich. But what he does promise is that I will supply all of your, what? Your wants, your desires, your needs according to my riches through Christ Jesus. So the problem is confusion about our mission. Let's get the mission clear, church. That's why we can't be laying back on our laurels and getting comfortable and feeling like, oh, man, this, is, this, this staying at home stuff is fine. Praise the Lord that we have this avenue. But we need to be equipped to do the work of the ministry so that we can fulfill the Great Commission. Are you on mission? Oh, you chose a word for the year. I said, I did. I chose me a word. I made me some New Year's resolution. Is anywhere on your list fulfilling the mission of the church? Here's a second reason why there's a problem with staffing in the church to reap the harvest. It's called convenient Christianity. Casual Christianity. We dating Jesus. We're going to marry him one of these days. Listen, listen, this is is uh, Luke chapter 9. I ain't going to give you all too much. This is Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. It says, now it happened as Jesus journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And he dropped down to verse 59. uh, And then Jesus said in verse 58, and Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Verse 59, then Jesus said another came and said, follow, and Jesus said to the the next person, follow me, but he said, Lord, let me first bury my father. Father wasn't even dead, but he's going to wait until his father dies, and then he's going to serve Jesus so he don't miss out on his father's inheritance. Yeah, it's really about the kingdom here. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead, but go and preach the kingdom of God. Go preach the good news. And another said also, Jesus said to another, said, Lord, to this other, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. 
But Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let me just quickly share what it means to be a convenient, casual Christian in these examples that Jesus gives. The first one, a convenient Christian who is casually dating Jesus is a lip service Christian. The man came to Jesus and said, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, well, did you know that the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but I don't have no crib. (laughs) I don't live in the suburbs. I ain't rolling up in that. And then the brother kind of disappears in the crowd. There's lip service Christians. I would have, I could have, I am going to, but you never get to going to. Lip service Christians. Then there are the late, better than never Christians. Let me go home and bury my father. I'll get around to it. I got too much living to do. And one of my cousins actually said to me when I told her I, I committed to Christ and I'm going to live for the Lord, she said, I feel sorry for you. You're too young. And there are people who actually say, when I get older, I'm going to get serious about the Lord. Let me, let me just get the sin out of me. Let me just, let me just get it all out. Then I'm going to get married. I'm going to settle down. No, you just taking fleas into your next relationship. Let me go. And then the looking back to form a relationship. Let me go say bye to my friends. I don't want to upset my people. I don't want them to think this is, I'm taking this Christian thing too seriously. Then there are the work issue with the emotionally controlled Christians. This is in Luke chapter 14, verses 27 through 33, where Jesus talked about building a tower without first making decisions and making plans. I'm going to build a tower. I'm going to join a ministry. I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to sing a song. And you don't think about you can't sing. You don't have no money. And you got terrible credit. That's all in your feelings. There's the Christians who totally live in their feelings, and they make, they make great thrill seekers. Crowd, they fill up the crowd, but they're horrible disciples. Then there are what I call compassionless Christians, Christians that don't have a heart for the unsaved, don't love the unsaved. The Bible says, then Jesus, going back to uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus went about to every city and village teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every every sickness and every disease among them. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. We lack compassion. Now, what does compassion look like? I'm glad you asked. I'm not going to define it. Let me just tell you what it looks like. Compassion that Jesus had looks like this, going wherever sinners are to reach them. Not waiting, waiting for them to come to church. You can, go, you can travel the world on your, on, your, on your iPhone. You can travel the world on various social media platforms. Going, so, so the first thing that Jesus did, he went wherever sinners were. Here's another thing that compassion looks like, sharing the gospel of the kingdom when you get where people are. Deliberately making a point, I'm going to tell people about Jesus. Wherever they are and I'm there, I'm going to seek an opportunity. That's what compassion looks like. Compassion also looks like helping people where they hurt the most. Here's what the church does. We decide we're going to feed people. They got so much food in this area that people can't even walk straight because they didn't, they didn't work nowhere. They didn't ate everything that they were going to be given to free. They ain't trying to work. 
You got to, 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 before Jesus met a need, he recognized what was hurting them. The Bible says that God hears the prayers of sinners. He said that, that when the righteous cry out, God hears us. He hears us, then he delivers us. He hears our cry. What's the need? That's why we have squat, uh, 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 SWAT sessions, and we're trying to find out what is the need? What's the real need? Not the need that we decide. Somebody tell you, oh, uh, you need a size nine. No, I'm a size 17. What you tell me? I'm going to put me on some nines. You just make that plain. Here's another thing. So he helped people, and he also, he discipled people. He said they were like sheep without a shepherd. Discipleship is, the, is shepherding. It's letting people walk with you, talk with you, being transparent, spending time with them. That's what discipleship is. I'm going to run a, let me, let me go, go to this one here. Now, why was Christ able to have compassion for people and we don't? I ain't speaking for everybody. I'm talking about my heart sometimes. But if you like me, let, me, let me tell you what Jesus did that caused him to have compassion. The first thing the Bible said, that he said, Jesus stopped doing church stuff that can become routine. He was healing the sick and those who had diseases. He was meeting needs. But the Bible says he saw them. That means he had to stop. Sometimes we're so busy in church activity and coming to church and doing this and doing that. We got church ministry, and we don't know the first thing about somebody sitting right next to us who's considering suicide. Stop the ministry to reflect on those who you're ministering to. He stopped. He stopped. The healing and all, it's great, but he had, you had to stop. And the second thing he did, he started looking around at the people he was serving. Who are you serving? He started, started looking around. Then he saw their deepest need. He saw their hurt. He saw their pain. They were weary. They were scattered. They were like a sheep. They were like sheep without a shepherd, unprotected, unguarded, undirected. He saw it, and it broke his heart. But he wouldn't have known until he stopped and started looking around, and he saw them. Then he spiritually felt their pain. He spiritually felt their pain. I'm going to end it with this. I might come back and tell you how, how we need to do this. But some years ago, we were preparing. We had just left church, had a great time in the Lord. And everybody wanted Kentucky Fried Chicken. All right, we'll, go, we'll, take, we'll, we'll deal with the colonel this Sunday. So we drive up to the colonel, and we have to, we, we're going through the drive-through, and it's, unusually long in Niagara Falls for a Sunday. So we're in line. All the church folks are also in line. <laughs> Something about chicken and church folks. But anyway, we're in line. And now 15 minutes later, we finally get up to the place where the uh, worker says, uh, how can I help you? What, what would you like? And I said, we'd like a meal for six, a dinner for six. And then the guy said, we don't have no chicken. KFC, <laughs> they don't have chicken, but we do have sides. Would you like the sides? I said, that stunned me. I said, wait a minute. What does, I asked him, what does KFC stand for? He said, Kentucky Fried Chicken. I said, chicken. I said, you exist to 
serve and to sell chicken. That is your mission. That is your job. There is no other reason for you to be open. So what you need to do with your no chicken self is to say we are not open today. I want you to understand that the church exists for one reason, and that is to go and to preach and to teach the good news concerning Jesus so people will get saved and discipled. And if we aren't doing that, we like KFC without chicken. We might well close our doors because we're not good for anything that has eternal value. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, now hiring for the mission of the church. Father, may we stop doing church for a minute. Start looking around, and I, I got a sermon called Lost in the House. There are folk in our own home that don't know Jesus. Start looking around and, and see what Jesus saw. Broken people. Parents who, who are at their wit's end, traumatized by the pandemic. Children on medications to control their nerves. Fear filling the hearts of those who are watching the, 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 the episode that's transpiring with Russia. Right now, we're on the brink of war. People who have been confined to their homes because of unseasonal snowstorms, 20 inches, 25 inches. Fires burning down entire communities. Father, may we see around us what you see. And may your priority become ours. For you so love the world that you gave your only begotten son that through him the harvest could be saved. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. As we stand before the Lord and consider the proper understanding of what the harvest is. It's spiritual. It's spiritual. It's souls. There are plenty of souls that need to be saved. We, we need to understand the process. God gives the increase. And the Lord commands us to be obedient and that we'll be successful in our obedience. We need to recognize it's a problem with laborers because we're confused about the mission. We made Christianity con convenient, a casual thing. 